So if you would, please join me. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8. We'll be in Acts chapter 8. And so if you don't have a Bible with you, or maybe if you don't have a smartphone with that app, um, and you would like to follow along, would you just please lift your hand, raise your hand. My friend Jazz is going to, um, if you just kind of hold your hand up there, my friend Jazz is going to bring a Bible to you. And uh, as always, if you don't own a Bible, like if you don't possess one, um, please take that with you. Let that be our, our small gift to you. Take that Bible home with you. Let that be yours. Um, don't, don't just stick it somewhere and let it collect dust. But, uh, but if you don't own a Bible, we would love to walk through it with you. And we want that to be our gift to you. We, we don't want to hide God's Word from people. We want, we want that to be the thing that we talk about, sing about, and discuss amongst one another. And in addition to that, um, I, I kind of trumpet, if, if you know someone who doesn't own a Bible, if you know someone, man, take that with you. Uh, make that a gift to them. We want to get God's Word out. Uh, as much as we possibly can, because that's what we sing, and that's ultimately what we talk about, and we're going to do that together. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. Don't be afraid of the table of contents. Um, They will get you where you need to be, but um, if you don't have that in the Blue Bible, you're on page... What page is Acts chapter 8? Uh, It's at 595, somewhere around there. Um, So don't be afraid of the table of contents, but we'll be in Acts chapter 8. So up to this point, we've been digging through this story of the response of people to Jesus. And so while you've got your finger in Acts chapter 8, we want to zip back here whenever we get the chance to the first chapter of Acts. So if you want to flip back to Acts chapter 1, and I want to read to you a small verse there, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And it really has been the theme, it's been the summary statement for what we've been reading about and learning about in the book of Acts, about this movement created by people who were following Jesus. Because after Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples, he threw out a gauntlet of a challenge. But he also threw out a great promise in that challenge in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And he told these people who were following in verse 8, you will receive power. Not like you're going to get muscles, but it says you're going to get power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That is where they lived. In Judea, those are their nearby neighbors. Samaria, those are the people you don't like. right? The people, the, the, the place where we don't want to go there. Whatever. Usually, usually it's like a neighboring state. Or typically it's like a, a region within your state that you think is full of foreigners, right? People from another planet. For here, it's like West River. Really? West River? Blech. You know what I'm saying? I'm kidding. No, I'm not. Right? That, that's the people you don't like. But then, as if that weren't enough, we're to be witnesses beyond the people we don't like in Samaria. And it says that we're going to be witnesses, the people who follow Jesus, to the ends of the earth. And so they ask this question of Jesus. Jesus, tell us the future. What's going to happen? And he says, ha, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the answers to all the questions about the future. Instead, what it is for you to do is to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to do things that we can't explain. When something happens and you look back and you go, God must have done that because I don't have that ability. The Holy Spirit will give you power and then you're going to be witnesses That's an important word that plays out over and over and over again. In fact, it's an important word that you and I use quite often, whether we realize it or not. If you've ever been to a wedding, now there's a lot of of just kind of, I don't know, dysfunction that that travels with a wedding, 
right? And it's just kind of a hoopla and a whole bunch of crazy stuff. But there's some really, really cool roots of the gospel that are, that are found there. For example, if you were there and, and maybe you're one of the, the original, like the bridesmaids or one of, a part of the, the party, it's not really just for you to dress up. Originally, those people were set aside so that when the document was passed around to make the wedding official, you've got the person who, who, the, the, the person who officiates it. He's just like, not like wearing stripes, but that's like a pastor or somebody going, hey, this is what's going on here. And there's the two most, most important people. And then there were at least two people. And you know what the law even calls those people? Witnesses. So when you attend a wedding, you are not a spectator. You are a witness. You're not meant to sit back, but instead this covenant, this promise that's being made before you is something that you are meant to be a witness to forever and ever so that maybe if you had been at my wedding and you see me and like, hey, Jonathan, you're being a jerk to your wife. Remember, remember that promise you made? Remember that that covenant you entered into? Hey, I was there. I was a witness. You see how that changes the way that we see the world? Because that's exactly what Jesus meant for these people to do. Not that Christians have all the answers to all the questions. Because after all, that sometimes can be idolatry. That we really wish we were smarter than everyone. And most people you'll find are more obsessed with being right about Jesus than they are with following Jesus. And Jesus puts an end to that right at the beginning and says, no, it's not for you as a follower of Jesus to have all the answers, but it is for you as a follower of Jesus to tell the story about what's been done. And Jesus, who had made all things new, says, you, you go tell people. Just tell them. And you'll be amazed because the Holy Spirit will go with you and something amazing will happen. And up to this point, these people have been going. And we saw that they stayed there in Jerusalem. And they probably would have stayed there, but adversity came. And they killed their friend Stephen because he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. He wouldn't stop obeying Jesus' command to be a witness. And so they put false witnesses against him and they killed him. And so the people out of fear scattered out of Jerusalem. And whether they meant to or not, they began to fulfill Jesus' command and his promise. And last week we saw that this guy Philip, he goes even to Samaria. The people that they didn't like. And we pick up there, having been scattered from Judea to Samaria, pick up in chapter 8 and verse 26. I'm going to read it through and hopefully dig into this and see some of these amazing things that God might have for us. So Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem, notice leaving Jerusalem, to Gaza, Now this is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. That, if you look at your table of contents, that's that's a book in the Old Testament. Verse 29, And then the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, and then he overheard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked him, do you understand what you were reading? And the Ethiopian said, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. 
Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. From the prophet Isaiah, he says, like a sheep, he that is Jesus, or he that is this one that is to come, was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so also he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied to him. For who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say these things? Is he speaking about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, look, here is some water. Now what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And then he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, get it again, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And then the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in at Azotus. And then he passed through, as he, excuse me, as he passed through, what did he do? He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So here's this amazing account of a follower of Jesus, that is Philip, who is obeying Jesus' command to, to simply tell the story, to be a witness of what Jesus had done and who Jesus was to every person he met. And he was going even as far as Samaria, beyond, beyond the friend location, beyond the friendly places, the places where his life might even be in danger to share with these people. And as we've been kind of looking at this story, you'll see every time we get to a story in the book of Acts, there's, there's kind of two different categories of things going on, right? There's things that we should observe and imitate, and there's some things that we can't, right? So, so the original apostles, so they're kind of this high standing. The original apostles, these 12 disciples of Jesus, they had the power that Jesus gave them to cast out demons, the power to heal people, Now, we believe in amazing things, that that power is still possible, that God can heal us, that there is a spiritual realm over which God has power and authority. There is the ability that God has passed on and the manifestation of His Spirit to take things that were broken, even in our bodies, and make them right again. But that's not for everybody. In fact, if you have been given the power by Jesus to heal people, if you found yourself to have been touched, you've touched people, and in their sickness they've maybe come back to wholeness and they've come back to health, well then you know about this, all right? And I'm, I'm really preaching to, to a, 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 the, the choir here because you already know about this gift. But for some of us who don't have this gift, well, you'll know pretty quick if you have it. If you find yourself praying for people who are sick and they miraculously come back to health, like in ways that don't make sense, well, this gift's alive. But this is also an area that maybe we ought not imitate. This is an area where God will give you the faith and the knowledge to know what to do. And this is an area probably where we have to be careful, not to be ignorant. Because ultimately, these healings took place not so that 
the people healing others would be famous. Mind you, these people were healed so that they would have an opportunity to hear about Jesus. Jesus did this himself. In fact, he went, and we saw this uh, a, few, a few months ago, as these people walk in the footsteps of Jesus, they tend to look a lot like what Jesus was doing. And Jesus, in fact, did this, where some men brought their friends to Jesus, because after all, real men take their friends to Jesus. They brought their friend through a crowd of people, dropped them through a hole in the roof, and Jesus, instead of healing the man, the first thing he told the man was, your sins your failures, your weaknesses, the things that you've done that are disobedient to God, they're forgiven. And this made some religious people very angry, but Jesus proves a point and he says, so that you will know that I'm not just a healer of the body, so that you will know that I have come to make a new creation in the hearts of people, so that you will know that I not only have the power to heal, but the power to forgive and put you right with God, you, sir, get up and walk. And he healed the man, not so that Jesus would make money off the ordeal, but instead so that people would realize that he has the power to set things right in our hearts. And the same thing's been happening here. As these people healed, that you notice they don't start charging a fee. In fact, the last story we saw, a man saw the power that was manifesting itself amongst these followers of Jesus, and he wanted it so that he could make money off of it. And they said, and this, this, this really cool magician said, hey, I'll pay you if you'll teach me how you heal people. And they rebuked him, said some pretty mean things to him. Hey, that's not how this works. And that's because people only heal so that Jesus will get the glory. And that's important. That's very important. Because as we're kind of discerning what gifts God has given us and what of this story we're meant to imitate and the things that maybe we should leave to these apostles, we have to examine our own motives. Like if you had the power to heal, I mean, think about this. Like if you had the power to walk in Avira or Sanford and put them out of business, you know what I'm saying? Like if you could walk into the hospital, you, you're healed, you, get up, you, you're healed, your cancer's gone, you're good, go home. If you could put Avira or Sanford out of business with your ability to heal people, why would you do it? Now, I gotta be honest, if I could do that, I would probably really enjoy the book deal and the news conference that came afterward, right? So Jonathan, tell, you how to, tell us how you did this. Well, that's really interesting for you to ask. I'm glad you did. I mean, I would probably be like, yeah, let me, let me write a book about this. Let me, let me make some money on this. And so the motives of these people's hearts weren't for themselves. Instead, they were that Jesus would get all honor and glory. And they only healed people so that people would see the power in Jesus' name. And that's a power that has been given to some who do not abuse it. And I would argue it probably hasn't been given to you or me because we would use it for our own good. You don't believe me? What if that person you hate, yeah, that one you hate, gets sick? Hmm. That person you hate, yeah, that person you can't forgive, what if they came down with some sickness? Would you heal them? Would you do it begrudgingly? And you see, I think that God has given that gift to some people with the right motives. Not me. Maybe you, not me. And that's one of the ways in which we, we have to look at this story and see the power of God, but, but note, it's not really some place where we can necessarily follow. And if God gives you that power, you need to do it. You need to do it for Jesus' glory and not for your own. The next thing you see throughout this entire story is that this, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit 
is driving the entire thing. So look at the very first verse. Look, look at that that we read. It was verse 26. It says, Now who? An angel of the Lord. Who starts this story? I mean, this is a story about a guy who hears the good news of Jesus. His life is changed by it. And he experiences some miracles along the way. Here's the beginning of the good news. Who starts this story? Who's the initiator here? This is really interesting. Because I don't know, maybe, I don't know where you're from here. I don't know what you're bringing to the table. So maybe if you don't even believe there's a God, you find yourself like, yeah, God, that's great, good for you. And maybe you tell people you believe in God, but you're struggling to believe it. Here's this really good news about God. If you're kind of afraid, hey, he hates me, and I know I'm not perfect. Most religions of the world say you need to get your life together. You need to do these things. You need to follow these steps so that you will be in communication with God. Here's a really cool beginning of the good news. We don't initiate a relationship with God. Praise Jesus. He does. So some of you maybe have like a, a good church vocabulary. You've been a part of a church for the last couple of decades. There's this movement that's been, it's been stirred and kind of comes up and down in different churches, and it's called a seeker movement, right? That, that you and I, as the church, ought to be sensitive to people who are seeking Seeking God, seeking answers, seeking Jesus, and that we ought to do things driven by those seekers, and we ought to be seeker-sensitive, seeker-friendly. Guess what this story tells us? The main seeker we're sensitive to is God. This story tells us that God, holy and righteous, isn't up there looking for people to smite and punish. Instead, this God is initiating peace on our behalf. The greatest seeker that will be present whenever we get together is God himself. Instead of waiting for you to get your life right, he sent his son to make you right. And this is an amazing thing for those of you who maybe you've heard about God and, and you're wondering if you could ever be good enough for God. The answer is no, you can't. But the good news is that in spite of that, God still seeks us out in our brokenness. Despite your bad decisions, despite the hurt you carry, God is not sitting quietly up in the heavens somewhere. He is actively moving and shaking pieces so that you and I would know him. This is an amazing beginning to the good news because this story of life change, it doesn't begin with Philip. It begins with the Lord. And he sends an angel. A word translated angel actually literally means messenger. God sends messengers. God sends people. So consider the possibility. Just consider the possibility. What if you're not here by accident? What if the people you know, what if your friends are not accidents? What if the relationships you have are not coincidences? Is it possible, is it possible, if this God is moving and shaking things, is it possible that God could have sent some of the people around you to you? Have you ever had someone say just the right thing at just the right time? 
Have you ever had someone kind of come into your life at just the right moment? I know I've got a ton of them. A ton of them. And I, I didn't see it at the time, but as I look back, I can see these moments where I was, I was like just a millisecond away from a really bad decision, right? I, was, I'm, I didn't say this, but I was like, I'm going to throw my life away. Is that a good idea? You know, I, I can hear the, my, my buddies in the background, let's go do this, and me going, yeah, that's a great idea. Moron. And God, I see now, put somebody in my life at just the right time who, who, who as I see it now, they're going, hey, 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 hey. You're better than that. Don't do that. And I didn't see it at the time, but as, as calamity began to befall the people who I didn't follow, I can look back at these moments in my life and know, man, wow, God, that must have been God. God must have saved me from something. God sent a guy with a message just like this before I met my wife. And had God not sent this person to challenge me and to, and to put me in my place, I didn't like it. I promise you, the history of broken relationships that I had lived through up to that point, I would have simply repeated with my wife. And a guy asked me a question, and now when I look back at it, I, I don't think it was the guy. I think, I think it was the same story here. I think God sent someone. I think it was a messenger. And the question was this, hey, dude, what's all your, what do all your broken relationships um, have in common? And I began to list them like, oh, yeah, well, this girl I was dating, it was like this, and this was like this, and this was like this. And he goes, no, 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 no. Let me rephrase that. Who do all of your broken relationships have in common? And I was like, who? Oh. Oh. Every broken relationship up to that point had me at the center. And I didn't like that. I, I promise you I did not like to hear that. This messenger came and, and this, this guy runs off rejoicing. I didn't rejoice. But as I look back, I can tell you, had God not sent that person to put me in my place, I promise you I would have messed up the relationship with the girl I met right after that. I, I would have messed it up just like everything I'd messed up. And so I'm asking you, is it possible that some of these relationships that we share in this room are not coincidences? Is it possible that some of these friends we have are more than just friends? But is it possible that the people around us have the power to speak the words of life into us? And I only ask it because who started this story? God did. He started this story. It says that as he began to follow God. He began to walk down this place. Notice it says he went to a desert place. Just, just a, a side note for some of you, sometimes uh, God takes you places where you don't want to go because after all, if you only went where you wanted to go, you're God. It's kind of interesting. God sends this guy, Philip, to a place that's a desert place, not a really cool place, but that comes up later in the story. So he goes to this desert place full of people he probably doesn't know, and when he gets there, he meets an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. Now, ask your mom and dad the details of this, but here's the important part of it. Okay, this is a guy who's had his sexual organs removed for the sake of some sort of vocation. Uh, again, again, talk to your mom and dad about this. The reason this is important, because up to this point, to be religious and to follow God was directly related to something like this and a practice that's called circumcision. And the people of God came along and said, hey, there's a new symbol of faithfulness, and it's not a mark on your intimate parts of your body, but instead it's a mark on the intimate parts of your heart. And that mark, as we see later in this story, is baptism. But 
Here we go. Let's keep going. So he says, look, he, he meets this guy, and, uh, and he, he evidently has a lot of influence. He's traveled all the way through Ethiopia. Google that when you get a chance. Um, that's a long trek to make by a wagon or a chariot, and he went all the way to Jerusalem. But notice what he did in verse 27, why he went to Jerusalem. He went there to worship. And as he was returning, he was sitting on his seat, he was seated in his chariot, and as he was reading the prophet Isaiah, listen to verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go over there and join this chariot. Now stop right here. I want to make an important point about the Holy Spirit that the book of Acts has been illustrating up to this point, okay? The Holy Spirit leads Philip to do something, and when he does, as we just read, he leads Philip to tell this man about who Jesus is. Here's a good theological premise for you all to begin to realize. Sometimes I don't even call it the Holy Spirit. I just call Him God's Spirit. He's the Spirit of God. God is not up there and out there mysteriously, but God has revealed Himself to us as a Creator. And not just a Creator, but like a Father. So God hasn't just created a terrible place for us to live. God has created an awesome place for us to live. So God didn't just create the world, but He created the world like a loving Father would create a world. And the next time you bite into a juicy apple or, or an awesome orange or whatever you like, Remember, God created this for your enjoyment. God doesn't hate you. He didn't poison the apples before we got here. He made a really cool place. But the second way that God has revealed himself to us is through who Jesus is, so that we would know who God is and that we would be without excuse. And if we ever wondered who God is, God could say simply, if you want to know what I'm like, look at my son Jesus. And God became present with us as Jesus. Even though that's hard to believe, the history seems to bear this out. There's no one who has affected all of history more than Jesus. But then there's another way that Jesus told about it. He said, I'm not going to leave you completely. I may have to ascend to the Father, but God will still be with you, and, and I will be with you in the form of my Spirit. And God's Spirit always testifies to Himself. God and God's Spirit are the same. And so they do not mislead people. Why is that important to say? Because there are a whole lot of people claiming that the Holy Spirit has led them to do and say all sorts of things that I hate to tell you this, that just, that just aren't the Holy Spirit. And here's the litmus test. If you find yourself going, God, what do I do? Where do I go? God, are you leading me? Is there an answer here? The best litmus test for the answer that your mind comes up with is, is Jesus going to get the glory from my response? So I've heard several people, well, I feel like God's calling me to move to so-and-so. Okay, that's great. Are you going there to tell people about Jesus? Because if not, then it may be a hunch, it may be your gut, but it's not God's Spirit. God's Spirit does not lead people to do things that does not ultimately give Him glory. And when God's Spirit moves, Jesus gets made famous. In fact, the first manifestation of God's Spirit was in Acts chapter 2, when a bunch of people from, who had different colored skin, they spoke different languages or from different nationalities, they were all gathered in one place, and God's Spirit came and He took all of that confusion, and instead of creating more confusion and sending them to crazy places, the Holy Spirit of God came on those people and gave them unity around the good news of who Jesus was and what He'd done. So I throw that out there. If I ever say, hey guys, I think God's spirit, I think God's leading us to do this, you can challenge me right off the bat. Okay, who's going to learn about Jesus because of this? Because God never sends his children on a goose chase. God never sends messages and commands to his people to run away from him. God only sends messages to his people through his spirit to be drawn closer to him.
And so while I've heard a hundred different versions of this, a buddy of mine, he, with straight face, told me that God told him to buy a Cadillac. And no offense if you drive a Cadillac. That's awesome. You're in a great tax bracket. Good for you. But I just said, hey, so how is God going to get the glory from you driving this Cadillac? Are you like going to use this to tell people about Jesus? Or is this... And he had no good answers, but he was thoroughly convinced that God had told him to buy a Cadillac. Here's the problem. I can't find that scenario anywhere in the Bible. Every time God shows up, mark my words on this one, he always reveals himself. So God initiates it, but God does not confuse it. God speaks through it. And I want to close with this thought. It's probably the coolest thing I see here. This guy wasn't a believer in Jesus. He didn't know who Jesus was. And yet he still had gone to Jerusalem at that time and even presently, which is a holy place. So, so see if you can get this straight, because this is common. A religious guy, he's a highly religious guy who seems to have some knowledge of who God is, still did not know the truth of Jesus. Google map it, man. Google, Google map this one. You don't have to Google earth this one. The distance from Ethiopia to Jerusalem is a long one. This is a really religious guy. When's the last time you were like, hey, I'm going to walk a few thousand miles uh, because I feel like God wants me to do that, and I'm going to go worship God? Right? Some of you drove about 15 minutes here, and you're like, ah, what a bore, Right? When's the last time you drove? When were times you walked a few thousand miles so that you could worship God? So this is a really religious guy. Get the picture. A highly religious, a highly devout guy. And he still didn't know the good news of Jesus. He went all that way. He went all that way. And he didn't know the hope and joy that God had given to him in Jesus Christ. A religious guy with a religious vocabulary. Educated guy. He was able to speak to Philip. He must have been able to speak multiple languages. Religious guy. Educated guy. And yet he missed out on the good news of Jesus. The reason I say that is because if this guy tells that story, then there's a possibility that some of you in here are highly religious. You have highly religious vocabulary. You know the right words to say and not say when you're around religious people. And yet it's possible for as religious as you might be to have missed out on this God who is seeking you, not so that you would follow a set of rules and religion, but instead that you would know him you would know the joy that comes from finding peace in him. It's possible that some of you who may have a highly religious vocabulary, you know all the churchy words, beware, be careful. This story is about a person who was religious but still far from God. About a person who walked thousands of miles to meet with God and yet was still far from God. Did you get this? He's on the way home. 
He's not on the way to Jerusalem to meet with God. He already thinks he has. And as he's on his way home, he comes to find out that he doesn't. Some of you in this room, you're religious. At least nominally so, right? I've been there, man. I learned all the lingo. Things to say around people who are Christian and things not to say. And all the while, my heart was dark and far from God. Is it possible that you're not here by accident and that this may be one of the ways in which God is drawing you and seeking you for himself? Sure, you're not a bad person compared to most people. But what does it tell us that this guy was saved from his own religiosity? As they started going along after he'd heard this great thing, this good news that Philip tells him. Did you catch that thing? Where were they? What region of the world were they in? Remember what what place it was? The desert. If you're wondering how many coincidences can be piled up on on another, did did you see what happened there? In a desert place. You can think, you can see Philip going like, this is terrible, it's so hot in here. I mean, it's kind of muggy in here. We're trying to work it out with the schools, but... uh, trying to get the temperature down. Uh, Imagine being in a desert. He's in this desert place, and as this Ethiopian hears this good news and is transformed by it and wants to be a part of the marks of it and wants to symbolize it, what do they happen to come across? Water. And then they participate in this awesome symbol. Not a symbol who... I would say if there was any person who took his beliefs most seriously, it would have to be a eunuch who travels thousands of miles. And yet, what does he see when he hears the good news of Jesus? He wants to participate in this new creation. It's something we do. We celebrate that that when we're baptized, we're simply participating in what God has done. In the same way that Jesus was alive, he was betrayed and murdered and thrown in the grave. He did so with no fear, knowing that in three days he was going to rise again. And so we also know that when we go under the water, we are participating in the death of Jesus. Because after all, if someone holds you down there, it's no longer baptism, it's drowning. It's homicide. But we're not afraid of that, are we? We know that when we go under the water, we're going to come back out. In the same way that we have confidence that we're not going to stay under the water, you and I, lo and behold, by God's grace, aren't afraid of going under the ground six feet either. Because we know because of the power of Jesus Christ that death can't hold us. Death can't keep us away from God. Even one day when death takes our breath from us, Jesus will pull us right back out. I know it's crazy. But he celebrated that in his own life. So I think the response to this looks like this. When's the last time When's the last time you're open to God leading you in a particular direction? For some of you, man, I'm really excited. It's probably the fact that you're here. See some people I haven't met before. I'm excited you're here. I don't think that's a coincidence. I really believe God's Spirit brought you here to celebrate Jesus. I really believe that. I know you didn't come to hear us sing or play or talk. We're not that cool. It must have been God's Spirit so that you would hear about Jesus. But there's a second thing here. Are you religious? Like, 
you really care about getting all your ducks in a row. You really care about what people think of you. I want to warn you, it's possible that for all your religion, you may not have peace with God. Because we serve and love a God that isn't waiting for us to seek Him out by our religious practices, but instead we serve and love a God who is seeking us out in spite of them. But then lastly, this goes for some of you, have you been baptized? If all this, like if you're hearing me talk about who Jesus is and you're like, yeah, that's awesome, that's cool. That's awesome, I'm excited about that. Well, then I already know the Holy Spirit's working in you, but what about taking a public step? What what about making a public profession? What about saying, this is the line in the sand. I'm going to draw into this water, not afraid of drowning because I know that Jesus came out of the grave and so will I. You'll see on on the card as we we take up this this morning's offering, you'll see on the card there's an opportunity to ask about that. I want to know more about being a Christian. I want to know more. What about this whole baptism thing? So wherever you're coming from, maybe you don't even believe there's a God. I would love for you to just begin to think that God might have drawn you here for a reason so that you would know how good and loving he is. But for some of you, maybe you've been putting on a show for a while. There's good news for you too. God can save you from religion. God can save you from your flawed thinking that you can somehow earn his love. And for those of us who maybe we believe that and we've heard that, God wants you to make that public. And I challenge you to do that. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for how good you are. We thank you so much that, uh, that your good news is too good to keep a secret. It was so good that uh, over the risk of their own lives, uh, Philip and the others couldn't keep quiet about it, and they just couldn't hold it in. And so every opportunity they found to be witnesses to it, uh, they took it, and they took advantage of it. And man, what an amazing story that you sent your spirit. You started this whole thing that you're the author of this good news, uh, that it's not just something we've made up, but instead it's something that you've been doing from the beginning. God, if we find that hard to believe, if there's some in this room, maybe that's that's difficult to consider. God, would you begin to open their minds even just a little bit? They would begin to consider the possibility that you might be trying to tell them something. If there's some in this room, maybe they're afraid that God is going to somehow condemn them, that God, you're going you're to judge them and you're going to kick them out. Would you show them, begin to open their minds to this good news that, that you want to adopt them, you want to restore them, you want to make things right? But for those of us, maybe we've heard that, but we're simply going through the motions. Would you let this story of this Ethiopian be an example for us to avoid? Uh, don't let us get caught in the trap patting ourselves on the back for the things that we've done, because after all, none of us have done what this Ethiopian has done. But instead, would you begin to show us that it is not that what we, it's not what we have done that makes us great, but instead it's what you have done that makes you great. You've invited us into it. So save us. Save us, not just from man, things that we think are obvious. Save us from the things that seem less obvious, like, our own religiosity. Save us from those things. We thank you so much for what you've done. Uh, We thank you so much for this good news that we find in Jesus. And we thank you so much that it's available to us. And if there's those of us who need to respond to it, uh, may today be the day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.